Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Bending time is our challenge this episode. Mm, indeed. Yes. Uh, we have no guests this episode, but we have guests lined up throughout the summer, so it's about to get chock full of guests, and that's O with an apostrophe. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Rob. I use the he, his gender pronoun. I run the exoskeleton art space in Los Angeles, and I'm also a user experience designer in Los Angeles. I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist and educator and a DIY enthusiast, open hardware evangelist, and I'm a he, his kind of guy. And now it's just you and me. Uh, Charlene, shout out to Charlene McBride. I feel like a lot of folks say, well, you know, I had 50 ideas or I'm not really sure or whatever. And she just laid it down in two words. Yep. She yep. she knew what was happening. Yeah, it was no, no, no screwing around. Mm-hmm. It was spending mm-hmm. time. Like, okay, cool. It was a good one. I I struggled and then it like it, it popped in my head like boom. I have to admit that this is... I'd had something in the back of my mind for like years and years. This is actually what happens to me probably in about a third of the challenges. Whereas I say, oh, it's that thing that I thought about in 1998, but have <laughs> like never just gotten off my ass uh-huh. and done it. And this makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. No new ideas, man. I, I have a list of things that pop in my head that would be fun or interesting to make. And mm-hmm. I always think like, one of these will overlap with the, with with one of the podcast challenges, and not one yet has. <laughs> so I would, maybe I would like to hear maybe, that list. Rob, do you have that maybe list? Tonight's the night. Have, do you have that list in front of you? I do, but it's like all of my gold. It's like if I if oh, I spill it out. Can you just get, give us tonight. give us a little sip? Just give us one. Okay, okay, okay. Let me open it up. One of them. One of my. I can. One of them is like right off the top of my head, mm-hmm. which is cigarette butt flavored gummy bears. <laughs> I don't know, Rob. The second this goes on the air, you're going to get scooped. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, somebody's going to do it. So um, let's see. But, but wait, hang on. Can we unpack that a little bit? So what's the... Um... <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, because I remember I I used to work <laughs> with this crazy fellow, Jason, whose last name I forget. And Jason, I hope you're out there somewhere. But he... Um, he was this uh, very gay, very butch man that I worked with in St. Louis. And um, we both worked in this picture framing place together. And he just had the most hilarious stories about growing up in Southern Illinois, where he was totally steeped in macho culture. And I think a, a lot of people, oh, yeah. uh-huh. like, like if they don't know a lot of gay people, they might sort of have this notion that macho and masculinity and gay do not intersect but come on it's like the nexus of <laughs> masculinity right and so yeah yeah it's certainly like a subculture right of that right well and, and but but to assume yeah. that a society that is all men would not be masculine i find hilarious oh right right yeah yeah but he but he had yeah, this uh true. great story about he had many but one was i think his mom smoked the entire time he was grow um in the womb and that when he was born, she would just catch him licking the ashtrays in the house. Like he just, he just was attra- attracted to the the possibility of picking up residual nicotine. Whoa! But anyway, you were saying that's intense. Gummy bear fl- So what's the story? What's the what's oh, the inspiration? I don't, I don't know. It just kind of popped in my head as like a gro- I was like, what would be a gross gummy mm-hmm. bear? And then I was like, mm-hmm. oh, cigarette butt flavored gummy bear would mm-hmm. be bad. But it would be fun to make the, like, gummy bear mold, you know? Mm-hmm. And then also, like, you'd have to, you'd have to, because it wouldn't be tobacco that you would put in there. You'd have to get, like, a used cigarette butt and, like, steep it in water <laughs> or something. And then use the cigarette butt water as the water for the gelatin. Well, I, well, <laughs> I don't I know. It's potentially, just, I think what could be really interesting is to make it in a way that is not harmful in any way. Like you're using, not that that would uh-huh. necessarily be harmful, but would there be a way to reproduce that flavor in in the same way that actual chefs have to do it, you know, with, yes, with right, explicitly yeah. edible materials? That's That sounds awesome. Yeah, it'd have to be some sort of like, um, maybe like burnt toast or something. Like, yeah, you'd mm-hmm. have to come up with some sort of way to 
capture the essence of cigarette butt. <laughs> I work with uh, Deborah Parr. I don't know if she is a nose or if she researches the nose community, but apparently this is a job you can have to be a nose. Are you familiar with this, Rob? No. So so for those that create perfumes and so forth, so she researches mm. scent. And uh, and she's expressed interest in coming on. We should definitely have her on. But she um, yeah does this great talk where she brings in you know some famous scents in these little tiny tiny bottles and and one of the really important things i guess is ambergris are you familiar with this material no it's like it's like a bolus that a whale barfs up (laughs) and then it rolls around in the ocean and then rolls up on the beach and it's i think it's still a really sought after and you know like a fundamental alchemical component of scent creation um, and I'm sure she'll, you know, she'd be able to discuss it more. I, I got to hold a little chunk while she was discussing this at, in some Whoa. class. Whoa. Um, is it because it is a different, like, is it some sort of, it's like a, uses like a medium, like as like a yeah, look, carrier? I'm going to, I'm just going to shamelessly read you the, um, Wikipedia definition. So yes, please do. It's a solid, waxy, flammable substance, dull gray or blackish, produced by the digestive Whoa. system of a sperm whale. Uh, freshly produced ambergris has a marine fecal odor. However, it acquires a sweet, earthy scent as it ages, commonly likened to the fragrance of rubbing alcohol without the vaporous chemical astringency. Whoa. Yeah. Amazing. It sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would like to smell it. Uh, Did you smell it? I did. You know, my nose, uh, I don't know if you recall this about me. My nose kind of points to the side because I've had my face mashed a number of times <laughs> as, a, uh-huh. as a fledgling nerd. And, um, uh-huh. <laughs> I, yeah, my sense of smell is terrible. I really, mm, like, yeah. something has to be super intense for it to have an effect on me. So it was probably completely lost on me when I smelled it. Yeah. I don't have a great sense of smell either. Hmm. That's too bad. We make up for it in other ways, Rob. This might, you know, this might, uh, you know, if, if Amazon can provide this to us, then maybe Amazon gets a pass for a day. <laughs> I'll bet it's on eBay. Can you... Uh, it's probably on eBay, yeah. Let me, or, um, let me see if we can eBay... AliExpress. Oh, here you go. Ambergris from Indonesia, one kilogram for $9,500. Oh, my gosh. And the, this guy is wow. holding this thing that looks like an enormous fossilized turd. <laughs> let, me, let me put this up on the Slack channel here. Amazing. Yeah, I wonder if you could just, like, what it would cost for them to chisel you off a little piece. Yeah, if it could, like, yeah. Just give me, just give me, oh, wait, it's a, a gram is a dollar fifty is nine dollars and fifty cents. Oh well, you should totally so. get some. You should, yeah, yeah. You could make like a cigarette butt perfume too. Ooh, yeah. Hmm. Here's an article that says this guy is selling eighty five thousand dollars worth of whale vomit on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. 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 Ouch. So let's t- okay. So totally do that, Rob. I don't know why you've been <laughs> holding back at all yeah okay <laughs> it just hasn't fit into bending time <laughs> oh man if you push hard enough you're an academic yeah, I know. you've got an I mfa know. dude you can make it happen so rob often when we um do the podcast we will yes. ask we will each ask a question although granted yes. i've been a lot more free form of late than you and so i was asking you about this idea Rob, ask me a question. I will answer any hmm. anything you ask truthfully. What question do I have for Taylor? Lay it on me. You could make a statement as well, but just kind of lift <laughs> at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just make it sound like a question. It's a statement in the form of a question. It is um, Wednesday night. Uh... Okay, here it is. When I first met you mm-hmm. a long time ago, you... You were someone who was like really into a lot of things that I thought were like uh, like new and esoteric forms of making things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like way back, like a way long time ago. Yeah, what, 2003? 
something like that. Yeah, you were, you were, you were, yeah. And I was just like, wow, this person's really kind of out there. Like he's got, like he's been thinking on all these like really interesting ways to make stuff that now, you know, have become just like a part of the culture. Says, you know, like, says the guy who made the Cunnilingus app for a ThinkPad or whatever that was. <laughs> it was a Palm Pilot. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a training device. It had good intentions. Of course. Um, yeah. But, but, but I was curious about um, how, you, how you sort of discovered that, mm-hmm. that stuff. Uh, so, I mean, I imagine you're talking about electronics specifically or just anything from that era like 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 3d 3d printing and like cnc stuff and like before that Mm -hmm. like just like um what maybe at the time was thought of like as these sort of intensively industrial processes or Mm -hmm. sort of fantasy even but you were sort of not only already on it but like you were already sort of thinking through those ideas which you know it takes a while so i was just curious about like how you may be shifted from sure. doing other things or sort of got interested in that. Yeah, I think, um, so when I applied to grad school in 2001, uh, you know, there were a lot of people that were, I mean, that that was also kind of a year where everyone's art production just got completely wacko because every single person sort of felt like they had to remark on, politics and there was just oh, like there yeah. was so much bad particularly new media art i feel like coming out at that time um but i can certainly point out sean decker who was teaching oh. at the art institute um i don't know if he still is i believe so i think he's also gone to found a brewery called sketchbook brewing but he was teaching the pick microprocessor and this was back in the day when you know you had to reach out to a company like mauser and yep. I, th- I think they weren't even really accustomed to selling to individuals yet. So you could just yep. write to them and say, I'm evaluating a product. Can you just send me some chips for free? And they'd be like, whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but you yeah. can't really get away with it anymore, maybe in some cases. but And also, you know, yep. now now everyone's used to selling to individuals. But uh, so the pick, you know, if you take a look at an older Arduino, You've got the, and I'm saying this for everyone's benefit, Rob, not for yours, of course, but the the DIP or the dual inline package yep. is the chip everyone's yep. familiar with. It's like a lozenge that has little kind of legs sticking off it. Like it looks like a centipede. So yeah, with a little notch on one end. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you. I still have some of those Arduinos that have that. Sure. Yeah, full me size. too. Yep. Yep. Um, now the Arduino, of course, integrates all this stuff like a crystal for timing and yep. power supply and USB connectivity USB, and all that. Yep. Yep. But at this time, you had to get this ZIF socket, right, that was a pretty expensive and, and pretty awesomely sort of steampunky affair where uh-huh. you would pull a little um, literal lever. Oh, yeah. You yes. Know, and the sort of gate would open up kind of like vertical or like um, Venetian blinds. Yeah, ben- baleen whale teeth or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so you drop the chip in there, and that way you wouldn't, you know, stress it too much opening it and closing it. And, and this was really just after you would wipe out an old chip by exposing it to UV light through a f- literal window, uh-huh. you know, so, so that, yep. like, things were still big enough to feel like a thing in your hand. Yeah, yep. Uh, and I took I took Sean's class twice in a row uh, just because it was so hard for me and I knew it was interesting and I didn't know why, <laughs> but, you know, just kind of trying to get to writing and see, you know, a for loop or these ex- extremely essential behaviors. And then also I'll have to upload a picture of this. So I was putting the chip in and out of the zip socket so many times, and then you have to put it back into your circuit to see if it worked. Um, and I got sick of it, so I fabricated a PCB <laughs> that would include the crystal and the power supply and the ZIF socket and everything so I could program and have the circuit operate in the same place. I would just have to switch back and forth between program and um, operation with a with a literal switch. Um, and so I basically invented an Arduino. <laughs> wow, yeah. And, and I still have the board... Uh, which includes a little self-portrait of myself, you know, etched in the corner. And um, 
So, so I'm, I'm, I'm not claiming to be any genius, but, but I think that what really makes that stuff is not the technology, but the community. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, the, the folks that put together the Arduino are vastly su- smarter than me, both in terms of electrical engineering, but also understanding how to spark a community. And so I, I yeah. think for me, yeah. the big difference was I was just kind of laboring, you know, doing as much as a rather dumb cr- person can do by themselves. And then I, w- had, yeah. I just had to wait for five years. And then all these much smarter people posted everything online. And now it's just like, you know, being a kid in a candy store, really. Yeah, yeah, right. There was a couple, you probably remember this, there was a couple of like pre, pre-Arduino pre sort of boards. Sure. Mm-hmm. And the Art Institute had one kind of cooking. Easy I.O. Easy I.O., exactly. I have one of those boards somewhere oh, in my okay. pile. Yeah. And and um, there was a uh, there was a Canadian project called SenseBus that was like... Um, mm a sort of sort of networked it was sort of like ECIO but it had a kind of networking like a one wire network or something like that mm-hmm. that was pretty cool and yeah it's, it was interesting at that that time was pretty interesting because you're just like wow these people are trying to make this thing that like scratches the interactive artist's itch you know sure and then the Arduino came along sort of on top of kind of surfing that wave you know and really just kind of blew up the whole thing but you know, to to a point, if you, if you had a certain amount of needs, but yeah, yeah, that's cool. Wow. So so and so through Sean's class, then you got sort of turned on to like just different sort of technology centric art making or something like that. Is that yeah? I mean, feel accurate. I think that was a a start. The the work he was yeah. doing at the time was to take a little stepper motor and then to attach a guitar string to it, mm-hmm. and then to have that mounted at the center of a plate of steel and then just to have the stepper right. motor go in a semi-random yep. walk so eventually it would scratch yep. out a circle i mean yep. the most basic possible implementation and i think it's great you know it's great when you yep. can come up with an essential set of steps that leads to something cool and later he went on to do some really cool i think at the uh, cultural center he did a piece a couple of years ago that sort of it was all these little piezo or something activated poppers and so walking through it was like walking through reeds kind of in a marsh um oh yeah 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 so so um so he kind of got me started and then also there were some people that got me started in a negative way i remember being at the art institute and i won't i won't name the person but i saw someone coming out of their office and there inside was a little CNC mill that was like in a um, glass enclosure or something like a fish tank. And I said, oh, oh, what's that? I'd like to learn some more. And this person said, uh, you know, CNC is a, it's a, it's a state of mind. Like you, you couldn't possibly understand <laughs> it. You plebe. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and then, you know, and then a couple of years went by and then I started working with Chris Riley and we got, you know, just really, worked and worked on it oh no that's what it was i was teaching at depaul and they had a cnc mill they bought which is so often the what happens to research grants so this thing got bought and no one knew how to use it and they just stopped using it and so i saw it there and then um kind of wrestled it in the submission and actually i think i brought you in on that right yes because yeah, we were trying remember... to figure out like a dos based command program or something that's right. That's right. And you were like, "Oh yeah, there's this board, and it understands G code." Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, "I don't even know what that is." Yeah. And I, yeah, that was wow. Yeah, that was exactly the moment I was thinking of Taylor. It's cool that you remembered that. Ah. Cool. So that was my question, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> well, nice. I think we. I've always wondered. Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, well, it, and I. I don't want us to go all night, but I'm certainly curious. I mean, you can answer the same question too, because I think you were in it before I was. Like, what what motivated you to invite mm. a random, famous Japanese noise artist to your apartment in 1997? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was. Um, I was into. You know, it's weird. In high school, I was into taking apart TV sets. Yeah. Oh, that's a dangerous one. Nice. Yeah, because because the Dead Kennedys, ironically, and I would I would this is probably really bad for me, but I would gut the whole inside, mm-hmm. you know, and then knock out the tube mm-hmm. 
the back end of the tube. You know, the t- old tube TV sets, like, the screen was glass, and it would, like, wrap back into this almost like a droplet-shaped knob on the back, mm-hmm. and then there was this, like, cone of copper um, where the, winding. That's where the magnets were that would direct the flow yes. of the electron gun, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I would knock that off with a concrete block that they used to <laughs> used to be used to hold the door of the art room open. <laughs> and then scoop out the inside yeah. that had some nasty coating on the inside. Mm-hmm. And then make like reverse collages on the inside of that glass. Mm. So you could see them as a and so I would go to T V repair shops and stuff in my mom's station wagon. Yeah. And those, those like giant console TVs because there always was like three or four in the back that like the guy just it was busted but he just didn't want to move it you know so was this so high he was school very happy, or was happy this... to see me yes yeah, so it was in high school yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's like my junior senior year of high school so nice yeah and so that got me strangely and then my dad was into ham radio and stuff and I had been playing electric bass for a while and I was like oh I want to make a distortion pedal because that would be cool and that was like the first sort of synthesis of like me being interested in electronics and 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 then with like like punk rock stuff mm-hmm. you know and then and then through making like taking apart TVs and stuff it sort of all and then i heard about survival research labs and i was just like yep. oh my god amazing <laughs> and then the rest is you know the rest is my own personal history i guess wow interesting yeah it seems like we had a lot of overlap weirdly um and I think I think we we never we lived in Chicago near each other for like ten years, and I think I've spent way more time with you on Skype now than we ever did. <laughs> than we ever I know, did right? It's, yeah, it's funny. That's the thing about like having a rigorous thing, right? It's like band practice, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have a, a band and you actually really practice, you really know those people pretty well. <laughs> yeah, have we? I don't think we've missed one yet, right? Like neither has either. We been, have not. No, it'd be sick no. or something interesting. Oh. No. Yep. I don't want to. I don't want to jinx it. I got my big. Uh, oh, here's one more story for you before we get going. So, I uh, I um, got my big illness. I was going to say out of the way last time. So, I got you know some lower GI thing from uh, my toddler, or I gave it to her actually. But the I got really uh-huh. dehydrated, <laughs> and then right on the tail end of this, I had to go to Omaha. This was for the opening of the show I talked about in the last episode called the Museum of Alternative um, History. Oh, yeah. And so, which went great, and it's at the Kaneko, which is um, this space named for this Japanese ceramicist who made these giant pieces you had to fire, like, in a room-sized kiln. And it's still unclear to me. I I think it houses, there's, like, a permanent collection of his stuff and then rotating material anyway. So the show went great, but when I was meeting up with the curator, Tim, uh, who works for Creighton University... Uh, which is one of those schools, kind of like Columbia College, where it's just downtown and sort of mixed in with the town a little bit. Uh huh. And so I got there, and it was like a hundred, and I was walking to meet Tim about half an hour, and I realized it partway into my walk, like I'm not sweating at all, and it's a hundred degrees. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, Whoa. like I'm gonna, I gotta really be careful with heat stroke. And so finally, at some point, I ducked into a school building, like at random. And it had this sort of airlock doors on the way in. And there was a sign that said, you have to check in with security. So I'm looking inside for security right as this person's coming out and she holds the door for me. So I think, oh, fine. So I went inside and there's a lobby, but there's no security. And I think the issue was that it was one of those things where you had to call security on the monitor. Like there was a button uh-huh. that would call you or something. But I, you know, I was already inside, so I just sat down. I was reading my phone for a bit. And then someone came over and said, oh, can I help you? And I said, oh, you know, I'm, it's it's fine. I'm just meeting up with, um, you know, Tim. He's a uh, faculty member here. And they looked really confused. I was like, oh, no, not in this building. I'm just, I just stopped inside because it's so hot. And it was, I mean, look, dude, it was way hot. And so the person mm-hmm. laughed. And it's like, I, I, I hear what you're saying. So I thought everything was fine. But I think that they then went and called campus security on me right away. <laughs> Oh no! So, so I just was sitting there reading my phone. I went to the bathroom and filled up my bottle of water, and then I'm walking down the street, like pouring the water on my arms and the back of my head to kind of simulate sweat. Um, uh-huh. And then 
I, as I was crossing the street, all these security cars, or these two SUVs came screeching up from either oh, side of the street. No. But I'd already just walked kind of past the building line. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I kept walking, and then all this 4-0 like, came, you know, like rolling up over the hill and triangulating on me and like click cutting off my escape. <laughs> and then read me the riot act. And they just couldn't believe that I'd defeated their security. And I was like, guys, I was hot. <laughs> I just I went inside I'm meeting somebody who works here and then they finally let me go but they like were like trailing me in the car at two miles an hour till I you know oh my god I got to the dude but um yes so that was my that was my exciting Omaha experience <laughs> you you were like the perpetrator they've been waiting for for years <laughs> well you know I, I had to admit that everyone's on you know they're all on high alert because of all the school shootings yep. and I guess I get it yeah but, yeah. You know, it was one of the rare occurrences where being like a tall white guy that's somewhere where he's not supposed to be, usually that's just the past that gets you everywhere. And and for right, for right. once I was like, oh, that's what it feels like. So so that was uh-huh. that was interesting. <laughs> Rob, should we should we do what we Let's came do to do? I can't do I can't Let's remember. Are you first or am I first tonight? Let's have you go first. What? All right. Yeah. Cool. Check it out. I got um I got picks for you okay cool and uh, so yeah bending time is our challenge indeed uh okay oh so the first photo i see is a digital camera the back of a digital camera, not the front with a lens, but like with a display mm-hmm. and the digital camera and there's, it's powered on and it's in manual mode. And there's just like a little green square in the middle as if it's trying to maybe find focus or, you know, figure out what's in the image. But the screen is an, nearly entirely black. So it's just, there's not like an image through the screen. But what's also a little bit weird is the surroundings aren't completely black, so that's a little bit odd. But that's the first image. Oh, and then the second image looks like it could be a photo from the camera. Um, And there's some, like, light trails. I don't know. There's probably a name for that. Like, when the shutter stays open for a while Mm -hmm. and it's, like, very... Um, it looks like someone like ran around with a flashlight kind of, but this is a kind of dense, ambergris. uh, it's like a, it's like a chunk of light in the sort of nearly in the center of the photo. And there's some reflectivity off this, uh, whatever it's sitting on, but I'm not sure what that is. Uh So I'm going to go to the next image. Oh, so the next image looks like a cat scan or something where there's a, that light, same light rendering, um, but it's definitely a, a human like shape laying down. And then there's like some erratic light beams sort of vibrating on above and below the image. Zoom in and see what you can make of that. Oh, 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 Whoa. I'm glad you asked me to do that. So, okay, so where the head is, okay, so 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 where the head would be. So imagine a a corpse like laying on a gurney, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of what it looks like, but where the and it's sort of, uh, um, kind of isometrically laid out. So it's like the head is pointing kind of towards us, but the very first. So now what it looks like is this sort of telephone booth like laid on its side shaped rectangle with the human in it is could be made out of tons of images of some sort because the first one is like imagine like a sort of Eddie from Iron Maiden with its head <laughs> head peeled back is like a slice of a brain maybe mm-hmm. but you can also see that the sort of rectangle around that image is a frame that has what 
looks suspiciously like a video slider or something on the bottom <laughs> of it. I can't get anything by you, man. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, so okay. <laughs> so okay, I figured it, I figured out what this image is. So on image four is that's a similar image, but maybe the body is turned over or something strange. But it's the same sort of stack of images creating this um, form of a body. But now it's floating above a closed toilet in a bathroom. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then the next image is now this same body, but feels like it's stacked vertically, maybe, instead of horizontally. But on its head... And it looks again like it's somewhere in a bathroom or somewhere somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, and then there's another image, the same thing. It's sort of projected on the wall. Oh, wow. And then image number seven and eight it feels more high resolution, like the light is creating a more sort of like a richer body surface that you can sort of see the musculature of the body but it's also missing or the arms below the elbows are occluded somehow maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's in their in its lap but it really looks like very 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 humanoid and the same with image number eight but now it's almost in like a cannonball position where like or the fetal <laughs> position where someone the image is like grabbing, using its arms to grab its knees and like pull its knees towards its chest. So it's like very sort of squat. But this is a really mysterious. And okay, so and in these last two images in particular, but maybe the last four, that outline of what feels like maybe a movie window frame or something like that is totally gone. Like it looks much more um, ethereal and sort of floaty. Uh, if you look in six, some... I mean, you can still see uh, hints of a little it, bit, but yeah. The, um, yeah. the clear chrome of the interface is gone, yeah. Yeah, and it looks much more just like a column of light instead mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. framed by a, some sort of player. So I'm dying to know what, what how. Uh, so each image is called ghosts, and so I'm, I'm very curious about how this was done. And it's very effective. And it feels like to me that there is some sort of multiple exposure thing happening. But there's a number of things I can't figure out. Like how would you get this sort of really nice three-dimensional sort of shape in a photograph in uh that feels very much like there's just an object float, like a hologram almost like floating in space. So the, I'll give you one hint. It was super simple. So there's nothing really complicated. Oh. I mean, you pretty much laid it all out. So, cause it's not just a pure projection, right? Because mm-hmm. there's this, the stacked frames of what maybe video or something like that feel. It feels like a technique I don't know or understand. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll just I'll tell you, it's just my phone. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I got you know those um, videos. I think they came out right around two thousand or so. The you know the Visible Man, where they would take a corpse, yes, and freeze it in gelatin, and then slice off a millimeter and take a picture and so on. Yeah, like Body Worlds, or mm-hmm. there was a competing one to Body Worlds too. Yeah. So Body Worlds did plasticize plasticization yes. or however you say it yep i, I think yep. this was just as simple as they're lit- literally in a block of gelatin that's then frozen solid and they come across with this thing called a microtome which you know slices off a piece at a time and then they just photograph it from the top um so you can find those videos online and i'll i'll put a huh. link up um in our slack channel oh yeah cool and then, because I think at least one of them is just, you know, like a, like a U.S. scientific project or something. And then, um, so I'd had this idea a really long time ago, but now that, you know, you're carrying around a little video player, it was really simple. So I just loaded the video on my phone 
and then set the camera to a 60-second exposure inside a really dark location, which in this case, just for convenience, was the bathrooms in my house. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and then I would just put the camera on a counter so it was really easy to drag along slowly in a straight line. And then as the video would play, it would just offer stills that were illuminated. Um, So at first, you know, I just grabbed YouTube and just hit play and then just tried to sort of guess. And I got these weird sort of squashed or over underexposed or in a lot of cases, the first frame of the video was the first slice off the top of the head. So I didn't really have a lot of time to prepare. So then later, as I started to get the method down and I, I tried to give you all the images in order so that you could see the progression of getting it right. Um, so later it was, uh, I put the video into premiere and I gave it five seconds or it was like two and a half seconds on the front and two and a half seconds on the back of black. And then I made sure that the interior of the video was exactly 55 seconds so that I knew my exposure was 60 seconds. And then I matched that in the camera. So everything, you know, it was easier to do um, in a repeatable way. Uh, and then I just had to practice pulling the cam- uh, the phone fast enough so I didn't wind up getting a squashed body um, or an elongated body. So if you take a look in five, right, right. I kind of pull too yep. fast. And then if you take a look at eight, I pull too slow because those are actually all the same video in every one of those cases. Um, wow, that's really interesting. So how did, could you explain again the, there was a 60 second window? Yeah. So is that right? If, if you look at the, second? if you look at the first image, that's just the camera settings. Um, and I know I'm going to get this wrong if I do this off the top of my head, but as far as I remember F22, as the number of the F-step goes up, the actual size of the aperture allowing light in goes down. So that's, part of the reason why so you're making it as insensitive to light as you can through the aperture and then you're allowing 60 seconds of light through the lens or through the aperture and then you can also set the iso so the iso is set to be very light insensitive um which contributes to why you just get a black frame um i see the, i see the yeah in the camera in full light that's so cool how did you is this something you had been experimenting with before? I never tried it. It's it's one of those ideas I just had in the back of my head. And as you can imagine, I mean, you could you could um, increase this out to something like, you know, you could have like a big moving sheet and then project image slices onto it. You could do it with a television um, on the back of a car or something. So there's like a lot of cool ways. Oh yeah, that'd be cool to think about doing it. Um, I also would love to try and do it where if I could get the exposure a lot faster, if you could imagine just like um, a kind of persistence of vision thing where you just pull the phone really fast and then you wind up, like you could even line up the um, uh, the rate at which the images are exposed to the accelerometer, right? So that you could like draw figures in space. Yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, I, that's cool. I feel like it's, you know, I mean, this was a fairly uh, concise experiment, kind of a sketch towards something that I think could be a pretty interesting series. Um, and yeah, you know, it's an image of an actual person who died and whose body presumably was donated to science and all that. It's It looks so weird. Yeah, right. Like it's really effective. Like it really does look like a ghost or something. It's cool that um, it's not even like a projection. Like it doesn't look... It's just created in the photo itself. Right. You know, like it's not... It's in, um, in camera. Yeah, yeah. It's like an, a pure in-camera effect, which is really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, and in, in, wow. in that way, I think it links up to earlier examples of fake, um, you know, ghost or fairy images. Yes, right. But then there was something really nice about, you know, because I didn't include the picture of where... I wired up some little DC motors and to make a little car and then I made a track and I was going to ride the phone on the car and, you know, get the exposure down. But, but something about it felt, it felt more honest and interesting to have to actually spend those 60 seconds, you know, carefully pushing. And then it, it, it kind of plugged into 
mortality, but then also um, that was just the moment for my hand to come into it and to discover some stuff, you know? Yeah, that like your human body had to do some work. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And did you just, so you just timed it over that 60 seconds, like gradually pulling the phone backwards, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I I did some basic math. So, you know, on the phone's screen, the literal image size, I got to the widest point of the head, and then I measured that and measured and just assumed, I didn't base it on my proportions because they're unusual, but I just said, you know, like if the average head is 10 inches across and the average body is six feet tall, which is probably too tall, um, you know, what's that ratio? <laughs> That's your height bias at work. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Check it, dude. <laughs> and so, yeah, so, so if I take, you know, then I scale this down to where the actual head and the phone is only an inch and a half across, then I calculated that to be close enough to 12 inches in length in terms of height. And then I could set up for myself a little piece of tape that would show me about how far 12 inches was. And then I just had to practice dragging at a rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Wow. Thanks, man. That's really cool. Yeah. Man, my project now feels very... um... (laughs) Well, you'll see it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) This one was a long time coming. I had this idea in my mind for a long time. and, And having an excuse to do it was really super productive for me. Cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I think Charlene will also be pleased at your I hope so. interpretation of bending time for sure. It's really a really great execution of that. It's intimidating to have a pair of experienced directors breathing down your neck. If you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah, we can give you the business. Mm-hmm. We can. Uh... <laughs> All right, let's check. Oh, let's man. check out your yeah. video, man. Yeah, sounds good. Do you want to play it at the same time as me, or shall I just play it? Yeah, yeah, we'll play it at the same time. I'll um, mute mine. Just to... There's not really any real video or audio to speak of, but mm-hmm. there. Oh no, there is. There will be for you. Yeah, cool. Okay, I'm paused at and the now. beginning. Tell me when you're ready. Okay. Now. Okay, I'm seeing some great nerd tools. Uh, an old school sort of. Not a dictaphone, but like one of those tabletop tape recorders with the big plastic, you know, uh, switch buttons on it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> there were also some accoutrement on the table that are now blocked by close-up back of your head. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you're wearing some big earphones and then kind of like humming through your fist into the microphone. Uh the tiny screwdriver, the artisanal eraser, and the jar lid are sitting unused at the moment. Oh, wait, it's an artisanal uh-huh. eraser on the back of a Ticonderoga or a similar fancy pencil. <laughs> okay, so we've recorded a little cup. It's a Palomino Blackwing, too. Hey, there you go. <laughs> All right, nice. I think we're about to make some like uh, DIY dub music here. So Rob is unscrewing the... Uh, the cassette itself and saving the little screws in his lid. And then he's going to free the tape and let's see what he does with the tape. That, that Trader Joe's lid makes an appearance in a previous podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's your signature. So the, (laughs) the um, scissors come in and he's taking the, uh, the take up part of the reel and cutting it free from the tape. Um, He's also measured out a very specific amount on his ruler. It looks like nine inches with a piece of yep. not audio tape. Yeah, like the blue painter's tape. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay, so we're measuring out nine inches of the audio tape. And I got to say, your uh, your uh, video game is uh, is increasing with each episode. <laughs> it's getting slightly better. I still did it with a phone, but... I'm trying to like get my lighting better. It's yeah. like such a pain in the butt. For sure. Okay, so now we're doing some super fine editing. It looks like we're cutting away all of the clear leader so that we're just winding up with audio. Um, I'm assuming that you've determined ahead of time how many inches of tape uh, equals a second so that you just cut out that little sample that you just made. 
Yeah, roughly. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. That was part, sort of part of the experiment. But yeah, yeah. Okay, I got so, close-ish. So now we've got two free little um, spools, a little toothed gears that um, either turn the tape or take up the tape. Now they've been cut free, and you have your nine inches of audio sample. And then you're coming in with some clear packing tape, and I'm assuming you're going to make a loop. But let's find out if I'm correct. Okay, doing some fiddling off camera. And then now, yep, so we're going to place this loop back in the tape. And our pencil is being used to thread all of the little uh, tensioning areas and so forth. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. So what you're telling me, there's no audio? I'm not going to get to hear what you did? You will. Okay, good. All right, so we're restoring the tape loop uh, to the case. Put it back in the little Panasonic and play it. So I'm kind of surprised how long it takes for that little tiny loop to go around. Yep. Um, yeah, me too. It's about five seconds, I think. And then... Interesting. So the first time through the loop... So so the noise you're making is kind of immaterial here. You're just sort of going... Yeah. But the... Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the first time through the loop, you got some weird distortion and audio artifacts when you were going over the splice, but then after a time or two, the splice appears to be totally quiet. I wonder why. Yeah, I noticed that too, and I couldn't figure out what really happened there. Just some little piece of something that gets smushed the first time through. And now you're going to play it again while recording. So now that you've created your loop you can go ahead and then just re-record over it over and over again. So you're tapping on the microphone far more than you'll probably need. Yeah. It's sort of like, yeah, I didn't quite know how long I needed. So I just did it for a while hoping that it would sync up sort of, you know, the, um, the third one I find, uh, does the best job masking exactly where the loop point is. Yep. Although yeah. of course, over time you start one starts to see patterns in anything. Yeah, uh, are are really good at that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't, I don't think of this as any different from my project at all. I mean, I, I think one of the things that we did, both of us in this case, was to take a really simple conceit, and then just to perform it as an experiment where the actual results of the experiment are the work, you know? So it's not like in search of the perfect loop and then you just, you know, you you play the loop and then you forget all the things that weren't perfect. You've just gone through there and sort of in a scientific inquiry fashion kind of iterated what happens when you, when you perform that kind of investigation. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, this is funny because this wasn't on my list of like things I've always wanted to make, but, I haven't ever made a tape loop and uh-huh. you always hear about tape loops, you know, as like a, a thing. Uh-huh. Um, I think like some pretty famous public enemy albums were made songs were made with tape loops. Yeah. No kidding. Um, and so I was like, wow, it's, it can't be that hard. And so I sort of dug into it a little bit and realized I had actually all the materials at my disposal. Like I was like, Oh, I have some blank cassette tapes that I've had for forever and I have a tape deck. So why don't I, try it and this so i did try it twice before that (laughs) before the ones i recorded and both of those did not quite work out right one of the problems i had was i had made if you make the tape just even slightly too short it's so taut that the Mm. the wheels won't turn the tape right and so it the wheel turns but the tape doesn't turn Mm mm-hmm uh, and so that's a big problem. And then this, and then of course I overcompensated and the next one was too loose. And so the wheels turned, but the tape didn't really turn and the tape was slightly sticky on the back. So it would get stuck right. going around the corner. So uh, third time's a charm. And so the third one I actually got to work right. And, uh, I was pretty excited about that. And I actually 
<laughs> recorded it with my phone, so that was good. So, so would it um, be possible to also get in there with a correctly tensioned tape and then to sort of press down on it in order to change the speed live? Yeah. So that was one. So one of the, the original reason I had the pencil was I was like, oh, I'm going to try to like drag the motor, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to slow the tape down in spots. So while I record it, it sounds even weirder, mm-hmm. you know. But what's I think it's an anti-jamming mechanism or something. But whenever that would happen, the record button would would kick off, would oh, undo. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and so I was like, "Dang it!" Like, <laughs> but then I left the. But then the pencil was quite useful in getting the the tape threaded back through the yeah, wheels spooled. of the cassette and stuff. So I just I just went with it. <laughs> but but I was bummed that like my original the kind of bending concept that I wanted to go for uh, with the pencil eraser didn't work, didn't work out so well. That pencil though, it's, um, it's a Palomino Blackwing. And that actually, if you're, if you're going to be like a super hipster like me and listen to cassette tapes and have fancy pencils, <laughs> you, mm-hmm. that, that square eraser is quite good at tensioning tape wheels and, uh, because it fits right in that slot. And uh, to uh, keep all of your screws in an artisanal Trader Joe's, uh, take out lid or whatever that is taylor it's my uh, uh witch hazel face pads <laughs> <laughs> well done man well done yeah yeah it's good we did it time That's was cool. bent we now, did it. I, it was i'm super curious about uh our new method for getting the challenge but as always i'm an eager beaver and we've got other we got other biz to do first right oh yeah let me see if someone called let's see we may have to uh Rob, check and see how many own. people called. Wink wink. Yes. yes. Right. Uh Dropbox apps. Oh. There's a phone call. We have one. We uh, have one. But but Reb, let's shall we save it for the end? Should we do our diligence? Oh, yes, we should save it to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. So just to explain what just happened there, we made a, an ask on Instagram uh, for Opposable Thumbs listeners to call in and leave us a challenge on a secret phone number, and we have had a caller, so we're excited to mm-hmm. see what that is. Mm-hmm. But first... Uh, you can find our photos of our finished projects over at projects.opposablepodcast.com. And we have links in our show notes and we post cool stuff to our Instagram account, like asking listeners to send us a challenge. So you should go to our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast and uh, get tuned in to the, 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 in the real, in the now mm-hmm. uh, goings on of the opposable thumbs podcast. Um, we'd like to send you a Postable Thumbs sticker. Just uh, share a podcast episode on social media or rate us on iTunes or do something more cool than either of those, and we'll send you a sticker. Uh, just contact us uh, at our email address, opposablepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, oh, our sticker, at, speaking of our sticker, it was cre- the logo was created by Wolf Mask. Uh, you can check out his art and other cool stuff over at wolfmaskart.co.uk. Uh, we'd like to give Nick Kantar and Walter Katindu a shout-out as our top Patreon supporters. Thank you, Nick and Walter. Um, if you'd like to join them in the league of Patreon supporter badasses, please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us. Anything you donate really helps. And speaking of our top Patreon supporters, thanks to them who help us fund things like web hosting and that sort of stuff. We crossed the 20,000 downloads, Mark yeah, Taylor. We did. did you see that? 20, that's a that lot. Is, that is, that a is a lot. Yeah. It's pretty dope that 20,000 people have downloaded the podcast. So that's, yeah, anyway, that's really cool. Um, 20,000 downloads as opposed to individual people, which excites me even more because you guys are coming back and checking out what we got to say, and uh, we're glad you're here. Yeah, uh, yes. As old Phil Rogers would have said, Phil, what was Mr. Rogers' first name? Or is it like Cher? I don't know. What was Mr. Rogers? <laughs> Mr. was his first yeah, exactly. <laughs> MR. <laughs> yeah. MR Rogers. I kind of don't want to know. Name? I'm not going to look that one up, Rob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody tell us. Somebody let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter or religion, or lack thereof. 
We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Um, Taylor, do you have any links you want to share, things you're into, ephemera? Uh, So one thing, I don't know why I talk about music every time now, but one thing I'm really into is that uh, Weezer just did a cover of Toto's Africa that I think everybody should check out. That's awesome. Uh, Pretty good. And then... um, Scary. What else? Sister Sledge, she was the greatest dancer. It's another one that's been top of mind. And uh, Papa Loves Mambo. Those are on my all right. those are on my playlist for this week. I have a music one as well. Bring it. So Fever Ray is a band I saw last week mm-hmm. and they were amazing. Like I couldn't believe it. Like I was beside myself how good they were. Um Fever Ray, one of the members of Fever Ray is um Karen Dreyer or Dreyer, I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name, who was one of the co founders of The Knife with her mm-hmm. brother. Mm-hmm. Which is a band a lot of people. Yeah, you, you turned me out of the uh, knife, yeah. Oh yeah, cool. And they were Fever Ray was amazing. Like it's um five women? No, six women. So two drummers who were totally great. Um like a synth keyboard player who was also totally great. And then three singers, one of which is Karen Dreyer, right. and they're all their voices were totally amazing. And their stage show was so good. They all had crazy costumes. And like one of the um, one of the women's costumes was like a full on muscle man outfit, so it was like <laughs> like foam muscles, and and she hot. was a very yes, yeah, and she was running around like crazy the whole time. But she's she seemed like a very diminutive person. It's always hard to know on stage, right? But yeah. she was probably five four, maybe something like that, mm-hmm. you know, or shorter. I don't know, um, but not big and. And she was in like a full muscle man outfit the whole time, which was totally hilarious. And um, yeah, it was really great. So they just like blew me away. And like their sound was so good. Like they really just sounded better than the record in this weird way. That was, it's so rare, you know, with mm-hmm. music. So anyway, sure. so yeah, shout out to music. We, we've, uh, we're, we just covered a bunch of ground with all this, but yeah, I, uh, I mean, I got to show up right now. I'm, um, I'm just working oh, right. on a bunch of secret, uh, Secret project. So you, I think I I plug my thing, which is if you're in Omaha, go see the Museum of Alternative History at the Kaneko, and um, and I think they're hoping to travel with that show at some point. So if you um, check that show out and think, man, that should really come to my town, you know, give me a buzz and I'll hook you up with the curator. We'll see what's what. Yes. Yeah. Totally. All right, Taylor. I am going to send you this audio file. Drop the knowledge. And we can listen to it at the same time. Uh, let me, I'm ready when you are. Okay, three, two, one, play. Hey, guys, this is Nick Hunter, and I think you should address your name this time, as in your challenge should be opposable thumbs. There you go. Thanks for making the show. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, that was... Uh, wow. That was, that was Nick Kantar. There. Well, well, clearly... Nick, Nick Hunter, we owe you this one for sure. Yes, that is so cool. And and we, I'll, I'll lay his challenge uh, voicemail into the podcast, but mm-hmm. his challenge is opposable thumbs. Opposable thumbs themselves. I'm kind of amazed nobody challenged us with that yet. I know. Excellent, I know. Nick. <laughs> yes, Nick, thank you so much for calling in. That is awesome. Now, is Nick somebody that you already know, Rob? Nick is someone who I used to work with quite a long time ago, oh, um, right. and I still stay in touch with mm-hmm. occasionally. Mm-hmm. He lives, in, um, he was in the Bay Area for a while, but he's back in LA, and uh, so I do see him every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but like all people in LA, it's sort of like someone who lives in LA. It's sort of like someone living in the United States. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's how often you see them, so it's a little bit tough to like get that all worked out. But um, he's a super awesome uh, uh, programmer and also a really great an interesting creative thinker person. And um, yeah, so he's, he's uh, inspiring in a number of ways. So it's awesome that he called in. Excellent. And, let, and gave us opposable thumbs uh, as, a, as a challenge. So have you got in your little magical book there, have you got something already that you could apply? No. Uh, <laughs> so I'll have to, I'll have to really dig in and see what I got. But <laughs> Nick did not call in and say, yeah. Opposable <laughs> cigarette butt gummy bears. <laughs> <laughs> Slip him a fiver. Help me out, dude. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Slip yeah. him a fiver. He's already supporting us. 
Yeah, he's already slipping us a fiver mm-hmm. so next, Nick. Mm-hmm. He would slap that fiver out of your hand. Let's get to work. Who would? Swift, swift kick in the pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can, I can sink my teeth into that one for a show. That is awesome. Okay, man. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yes. We will re- re- reconvene again in two weeks with an, an awesome guest um, who I'm excited for us to... We, we both don't know this person. Uh, if it's if it's who we hope it's going to be, and it usually is, uh, and they are are quite an amazing maker and creator person, so we'll see we'll see how that goes. He's going to get opposable thumbs as his challenge in his email inbox in just a few minutes. That's a good growl.